Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeler. <laughs> and my name is Jason. For a moment there, I thought you were just going to leave us anonymous, well, You know, John. <laughs> I've done this long enough. <laughs> um, this is the podcast segment of the show that is not broadcast on Station KLA. Our guest for this 408th show is Dr. Joy Conley, president of the American Council of Learned Societies and former provost and interim president of the Graduate Center at the New City University of New York. We're going to be talking about the life of Roman Republicanism. Our history buffs are Rick Sweet and Ed Broders. And Rick, I'm going to let you start. Really? You're going to cut Ed out? I am going to cut Ed. And this is Jay Swords because I could forcut your name out. <laughs> well, Joe, Joy, since, uh, since Ed's been cut out, I'll ask my question. In the first, uh, in the broadcast version, you talked about the uh, one of the elements of Roman Republicanism being one-year terms. And as a, as a fledgling political scientist, uh, I've dealt with the question in classes and in discussions as where you lose continuity and depth of knowledge in, in, a, in a, a position if you don't have a reasonable period of time. Two to four years, actually two years may not be enough, but four years seems to be fine. Uh, so how did, the, how did this one-year term uh, process uh, affect the, the quality of, of public edicts and, and laws and processes in the Roman Republic? It's, oh, that's such a good, good question. It was clearly a sacrifice, and it, it shows you how uh, attuned uh, the Romans were to the need to balance you know, the incredible, extraordinary power of the rich, wealthy, aristocratic, you know, tiny class of people over and above um, the masses, you know, who, who didn't have a whole heck of a lot. So, um, so this was a this was really designed to keep those those people at the very top, you know, limited in a certain limited by the by the time that they had in office. Um, and uh, and you're absolutely right to point out that that um, efficiency of communication. I mean, just keeping straight who was in touch with you know the representatives of foreign powers. Um, you know, it wasn't just a change of address. It was a whole change of retinue and people involved um, on, on for diplomacy for for you know everything in in internal operations. Uh, but the the two saving graces here, uh, or at least um, solutions that the Romans devised over time to, to deal with this, one being a, an apprentice kind of culture for young men. So from the time Roman elite men were teenagers, they um, they spent a lot of time, if, if they had any chance of running for office, if they came from a wealthy family and uh, with any kind of public service tradition, they would spend all their time in the forum, in the Roman forum. They would be listening to their fathers, uncles, you know, older brothers, um, friends of the family. They would be absorbing what it meant to take on the various jobs we talked about earlier. And they would be then... Um, serving some time uh, in, in the military and seeing service on the battlefield. So always building connections, building, you know, deep, strong relationships with their fellow cohorts that they could draw on for advice as, you know, as time went on and they took on these these shorter year-long positions of responsibility. There was also, I should say, and this is the second, second measure, um, a civil service style bunch of posts 
that were occupied by a mix of slaves and freedmen um, who and, and free people who provided a bit of a bureau, bureaucratic backdrop for the activities of elected politicians. Uh, and there was a lot of continuity there. The Romans were great record keepers, and that really uh, immensely helped the system work the way it did. Ed, I recognize you for your question. Well, thanks, John. Well, the way Rick started out, I thought he was going to steal mine, and that wouldn't have worked out I, for either one of us. I wouldn't do that. I would not do that to you, Ed. You've done it before. Well, I stopped. Today, I stopped. Yeah, there we go. There's the applause in the background. Um, you mentioned, Joy, uh, in the first part of the program, you know, in discussion of the one-year terms, um, what happened that, that it devolved in that the Roman Republic actually devolved into an empire where we went from having these councils um, to having one, um, one emperor? Um, did this require somebody in power to kind of get the, get the military on their side or exactly? I mean, how did this devolve? Oh, that there was a question that Romans themselves, you know, felt a lot of angst about and, and tried to figure out, you know, in, in the decades and centuries after everything changed. It was it seems to have happened over time that as the empire grew and got larger and larger, I mean, we've got to remember that by the time Julius Caesar conquered Gaul, you know, most of current day France and pieces of Germany, the Roman Empire extended in length almost as as, as far apart as, you know, the, the East Coast and the West Coast of the United States. I mean, it was a huge area. When you think about uh, the limits on communication, uh, even with the system of Roman roads, if you go to Europe, you see Roman roads all over the place. And it, and it, um, it did enable astonishingly fast communication, for, you know, <laughs> for people without cars or planes. It was still a massive amount of territory and a lot of wealth. So the size uh, of the empire seems to have played a, a role in things falling apart because the bigger the empire, the more there were more borders to police, the more unrest to put down, the more taxes to collect, the more wealth to accumulate. So the armies got bigger, the generalships got more important, the power became and the wealth you know became larger and larger, and the competition for the top spots got hotter and hotter. So we start to see um, attempts starting in, you know, like 150, 140, 130 BCE, uh, attempts by politicians to consolidate greater power, more influence, and uh, we start seeing the evolution of a uh, mob um, gang violence um, soaked up by politicians who are, who are contending for elected office in the city of Rome. Uh, and this, you know, just snowballs over time. Um, so by the time we get to the Julius Caesar's assassination in, in 44, we'd already been Rome had already seen um, a few decades of intermittent civil war. I mean, outright civil war um, that started again, unfortunately, after Caesar's assassination. Uh, the, the, the Republican senators who killed him didn't really seem to have much of a plan except to go back to the status quo, which, of course, didn't solve anything. So it wasn't until Caesar's grand nephew, who was also his adopted son, was very young at the time of his assassination. He was only 19, uh, but obviously a brilliant uh, strategist and uh, knew, <laughs> hired the right guys. And uh, he effectively brought an end to the civil strife by killing everybody involved. And with, uh, with a lot of blood spilt, 
uh, and and many battles fought, fought established himself as as the as the winner in thirty one and and said effectively you know I'm, I'm he's never called himself a king uh, always insisted that he was restoring the republic but um, but set it up such that his um, his own adopted son um, took his his position uh, after his death. Jason, go ahead. Um, yeah, um, Joy, uh, when you just talked about the, you know, the expansion of empire, the tremendous amount of wealth, and politicians um, consolidating power, and, you know, the intermittent civil unrest, um, can you fast forward 2,000 years and tell us if there's some parallels here? Oh, that's, I, I think about this every single day. I, I think... Uh, one of the reasons I'm still drawn to Cicero is that as a thinker and as a very active and, and influential politician, um, he worried all the time about uh, about the kinds of dialogue and thinking about the direction of politics that was reasonable, you know, informed by emotion, but, but, but basically rational. I mean, this was his, his ideal of the way all citizens should speak to one another. Now, make no mistake, he absolutely thought that wealthy, well-born men should direct the conversation and, and set its terms. I mean, he wasn't a, he was not a Democrat with a small b, but he did believe in a, a genuine exchange of, of views and airing of ideas um, in, in the political arena and thought that that was the best way to, to deal, honestly, with, um, with conflicts between the haves and have-nots, with, uh, with different options that might face... Um, face the, the empire as it moved ahead in time. But he saw all around him the replacement of that ideal dialogue and exchange um, with, uh, with a lot of, with demagoguery and, and, uh, and, and mob politics. So, uh, so it's a, you know, one, one kind of lesson I take away from it is, is to be, just as the American founders were, really worried about factionalism and to to think that anything we can do as individual citizens in whatever role we play in our lives or in our families and with our friends you know to try to talk across divides and and keep dialogue alive um i think that if cicero were were reborn that's what he would say and don't build the walls don't be dogmatic find ways to connect with each other um otherwise the republic will fall um, Joy, I guess I'm going to be uh, the last question here, which is appropriate since I am the classicist. Oh, good um, Lord. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> um, so I want to kind of bridge both Rick and uh, Ed's questions, and I would like you to talk a little bit about the client situation and the way clientage as a institution operated within the Roman Republic because it served both to strengthen and teach and ensure that quality folks were, would, uh, would be placed in positions of power. And it also had the ability to create this kind of factionalization um, and, uh, and, and sort of power concentration. So can you talk a little bit about how clientage worked within the, the Republic and, and sort of its good points and its bad points? Yeah, the the um, there's no question the Romans were pretty clear-eyed about uh, the the roles of personal relationships and the importance of the right introduction and making the right right networks uh, and that that's really at the heart of a patron client relationship uh, and 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 they were also alive to the sense of obligation that people who have gone through 
pieces their lives together, um, you know, feel to one another and, and saw that as, as animating um, that relationship. But, um, but it, it did lead to division and, um, and, and competition that could be really unhelpful. And it could lead to a, um, a kind of, uh, the word I'm looking for, kind of uh, cementing of certain factions, certain families uh, with long-term influence over or and, and accumulation of wealth over a period of time. Again, this is exactly the thing, these one-term political offices, uh, the, the rule about one-term service was supposed to combat. Uh, but the, uh, I think the point of, uh, in the end, uh, that I mentioned before of, of ongoing dialogue and self-awareness is, is relevant here, too. That, um, and I'll mention Cicero one more time. And in his speeches, a series of famous speeches, hugely popular in the early modern period through the 18th and 19th century, that Cicero gave prosecuting a governor who is famously rapacious and corrupt, who's a governor of Sicily, which is a Roman province, uh, Cicero not only attacked him in incredible you know, eloquence and, and, and viciousness, but he also called the, the jury to account uh, and said to them, you, you guys have got to make the right call here. You know, you're, you're, all eyes are on you. And if it looks like you are banding together you know, to defend one of your own uh, and you let the forces of, of, of faction overwhelm you, uh, we're all really going to be in trouble here. We're all going to suffer. So there, I think there was a, a sense. Um, I don't think Cicero was alone. Uh, I don't think he could have framed his comments as he did if he were alone in thinking that um, that the kinds of divisions that patron-client relationships created, that, that divisions of wealth created, uh, weren't a problem. I mean, that, and that, that we had to be self-aware about them and, and take steps to combat their ill effects. Okay. We would like to thank our guests for the 408th show, Dr. Joy Conley, president of the American Council of Learned Societies and former provost and interim president of the Graduate Center at the City at the University of New York, who talked to us about the life of Roman Republicanism. The History Buff for today's show were Rick Sweet and Ed Broders. You can listen to ROIs. It's being broadcast on Friday night on KALA HD2 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put K-A-L-A-H-D-2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Put K-A-L-A Radio in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. This is ROI, which is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.